the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Since the year 2010, a ruthless battle has been waged, turning friend into foe. It's called Lent Madness. <laughs> 32 saints are placed into a tournament-style single elimination bracket. Two saints are pitted for a set period of time. Enthusiasts vote for their favorite saint after hearing basic, yet for some reason, oddly compelling bios. Somehow, somewhere, 16 saints emerge from the chaos and make it to the round of the saintly 16. Even more harrowing, eight that advance to the round of the elate eight. Four tussle through and become the faithful four. And then two move on to the final battle. Are you ready for this? They compete in the championship. It's just not all that great. <laughs> and the winner is awarded the coveted halo. And yes, it is golden. This is just one of the many ways that the fanatic, or I mean the, the, the faithful, may observe a holy Lent drawing inspiration from saints, legends, and, and their more legitimate accounts, more legitimate stories um, of their lives. But we also get to hear about their quirks and, and quotes that make them truly unique. Sometimes very ordinary people follow Jesus in extraordinary ways. And we at Heavenly Rest have our very own Lent Madness Bracket poster already hanging in the parish house. So we'll offer ways that you can get involved in this insanity. And it's just, it's a lot of good fun. But on this fourth Sunday after the Epiphany, I feel I must remind myself it's not Lent yet. After all, the season after the Epiphany is not a speed bump causing us to slow down momentarily as we barrel towards Lent and the cross and Easter. Now, you are not alone if you can't wait for Lent. You ask David over there. You're going to find out it is our rector's favorite season of the church year. And he does not apologize for that. <laughs> and for good reason. Lent calls us to literally and spiritually turn our bodies, minds, and souls to Jesus. Our scriptures will grip us with the power and the poignancy of the great love of God manifest in Christ. This love blooms across scripture in our lives like a fragrant rose. And something ancient, almost primal, something certainly holy within us calls us to keep following our Savior. Lent will invite us to turn away from anything that would distract us, old patterns, false idols, you know, anything that would try to steal us away from God. The season will continue to strip away 
everything that vies for our attention until we become like little bare altars for God, waiting, watching, hoping and praying, with the promises of God's glory shattering any expectations of what we think God might do or how far we can imagine love can go. All of this awaits us and more. But we aren't there yet, folks. The season after the epiphany, these few precious weeks ask us how we might worship and glorify the God who made us, how we might know God and experience a holy presence and power in our lives that is not contingent on us noticing God at work, how our lives might be lived in such a way that we experience a joy that is not fleeting, but deeply rooted in eternity. This is the season we are currently navigating. And Jesus is the answer to all these questions I've posed. Who Jesus is matters. And even though the Gospel of Mark, it moves at a breakneck pace, Jesus' authority as God's Son and the kind of kingdom he is building comes into clear focus for this fast and furious ride through Scripture. Simply put, this season is all about God's glory. It transforms our lives. It is God's gift to us in faith. And God's glory is right in front of us in today's text. It's the Sabbath, and we are swiftly transported through Scripture to Capernaum. So let us quietly slip into the synagogue behind Jesus and the disciples as they enter. We don't want to miss anything as Jesus begins teaching. What happens immediately contrasts his teachings with the teachings of the scribes and religious leaders. Not only are they and the people astounded by his words, but, but by the authority that just radiates from him. His glory shines. He does not just speak the truth. He is the truth. He does not share God's promises only. He embodies and fulfills them. And that's not all. In his first public act of power, in his unfolding ministry, he also encounters a man with an unclean spirit. He disrupts Jesus' teaching with a loud cry that we can imagine is just booming. He says to Jesus, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The unclean spirit does not question Jesus' authority. There's no confusion about who our Lord is or the kingdom from which he comes. This confrontation takes us back to Jesus' encounter in the wilderness. And Jesus will not make peace with the powers of darkness in his temptation during those. And he's surely not about to do it now in the synagogue. Once again, two kingdoms come face to face. 
And again, Jesus shows forth his glory, power, in the face of evil. Note that Jesus does not argue or I try to reason with the demon. Rebuking, he gets the spirit out of the man. And the spirit obeys him. And the man is set free. Even though there is convulsing and a loud yelp. And exits the scene. Now many preachers and commentators often see this text as an opportunity to make this story more contemporary in a way that seems unhelpful and possibly hurtful. In our world where we often sanitize the mentioning of evil spirits or, or as our translation offers the term unclean spirit, there's a temptation to look at the man who is possessed with a different lens. I've heard this text preached with a preacher wondering aloud if we might consider this a metaphor for someone who may be battling cancer, addiction, or one being gripped by financial ruin. Someone struggling with depression, anxiety, some, some sort of personal crisis. I guess you could do that.
God has the power to change everything, to defeat evil forces that would try to separate us from the love of God. And God's kingdom reigns in power eternally. start burning until Moses saw it aflame. We may assume that, you know, all was quiet. Then God saw Moses as Moses beholds this glorious mystery. He turns his face away, wouldn't you? He's just overwhelmed by the sight of this plant burning, but not being consumed by the fire. God calls to him, and as Moses approaches, he is told to take off his sandals because he is standing on holy ground. He's already standing on holy ground, y'all. God is already there in glory and power. The season after the epiphany reminds us that we are all standing on holy ground already. Our lives have been touched by God's glory. Our hearts, they're being shaped by the good news of Jesus Christ right now. And our eternity is being thoughtfully planned, crafted, and carried out by the one who will never forsake us, who loves us more than all the times we have feebly comprehended that God was there, and all the times we have not had a clue. This is the kingdom without end. This is the God of glory. This is Christ among us. As a community of believers, and as tempting as it may be, let us not speed ahead, but celebrate and savor the few remaining weeks of this blessed season with the most joyful hearts. Lent is coming, but we will enter this next liturgical season with hearts that have experienced the glory of God. And through Jesus Christ and his cross, the saving glory of God is shining brightly into all the dark places of this world, places known and unknown, casting out the works of darkness. And thanks be to God for that. Amen.